0: and welcome to Another Bite, where we rewatch the most innovative and intriguing pitches from Shark Tank. I'm Jory, and I'm joined by Ariel. How's it going? And John. Hey, everybody. Why did the sun not go to college? Because it already had like a million degrees. And why should your child go to college? So you can log it on your app, of course. With today's products, parents get more oversight into their child's education. But will the sharks think it's short-sighted? It's a product that's sure to test your faculties, all after this brief-sponsored sprocket-flavored ad. Today in the tank, we have Brightwheel. Now, Brightwheel is brought to us by founder Dave, and it is the mobile app for preschools, daycares, and families. The idea here is to manage your classroom by updating everything that happens. So essentially, in practice, what this means is that a teacher is going to be sending updates through an app to families who are very curious about what their child's day of education really looks like. It's an app that will help teachers stay in communication with parents, parents to stay up to date, but it also seems like a bit of an app that's going to help you manage your business as a daycare. So it's a little bit of everything. Dave is asking for $400,000 for 4% in this business, which is a $10 million valuation. So thinking about our pitch, our product, our founder, and our additional marketing thoughts, what are they? So I'm not a parent, but my sister
1: has two little girls. She will show me photos that she gets back of how they're doing in the classroom and at school. So this was one of those products that I was just like, well, what is this innovating on that doesn't currently exist? Because it seems like there's already solutions in the marketplace now. So for me, I was trying to wrap my head around, is this an improvement? Does this actually make teachers' lives easier and give them time back? I don't know. I wasn't completely sold. (laughs)
2: I think your question is the right question, which is like, what problem does this solve that's not already being solved? And I have yeah. a perception of this having a child in preschool. Mm-hmm. So it's true. Every day I get an email from my child's preschool and it has photos in it and descriptions of what happened during the day. Today, the alternative to using Brightwheel is you take photos in your iPhone and then basically upload them to Constant Contact to send an email. Like that's the current workflow. And what they're saying instead is instead of just like taking a ton of photos and then going through all the effort to do this stuff, you basically create your programming up front. You take photos during it. It gets mapped against it. Mm -hmm. You have more photos in app. You can tag those photos for the kids. Nothing feels worse as a parent than scrolling the daily email, not seeing your kid. You're like, what about my kid? What did my kid do today? And the other thing is it turns out in preschool, it's not like everyone does the same things all the time. Mm -hmm. Like kids do all sorts of different things during the day. And so it's really hard to capture that in a one size fits all email. So a lot of times I'm like, oh, did you do this today because I like feel proud I like read the email Mm -hmm. and she's like no I'm like okay like did you do this today? Read <laughs> even the email, if she like, did, no. she
1: probably would still say no. Kids, it's true. She might just say no anyway because that's
2: just kids. <laughs> and so I think that's cool. Is that like yeah. you can actually kind of map kids to the things that they do and make the workflow better for parents. And I think you probably could get better interactivity and a bunch of things like that. That I do think it kind of solves a problem.
1: But even that process of tagging and assigning what each of the different photos are
0: just seems like it adds so many more steps. I think that the workflow for teachers actually makes their day harder because they now have to manage real time communications with parents
2: in an app you raise a good point and i'm seeing this happen with some preschools right now where they're kind of saying like hey we're actually going to back off the photo thing we're kind of finding like the teachers are spending too much time Mm -hmm. like trying to take photos and capture things for parents instead of being present and so i think that is a real concern which is like oh is this actually the right direction to go with what you want your teachers doing
0: their job But you mentioned the freemium model. There's not so many products that kind of come in freemium first. So retailing right now, Brightwheel starts as a freemium model. And in the future, they're hoping there'll be like a $40 markup per preschool that could go up to $200 based on like certain features or the amount of data they're storing. But I was curious on your take on that.
2: Well, freemium is awesome. Freemium is one of the greatest innovations that ever happened in the history of go-to-markets. You know, at HubSpot, what we say is add value before you extract value. Sure. Like, if you want to sell somebody something, the best thing you can do is add lots of value to them before you ever ask them to pay. The thing that is kind of interesting is, like, in order for freemium to work, I think you need a couple of different... Things to be true. Okay. Number one is you actually need a lot of demand for the thing. You can't have a very mm-hmm. small universe because, more often than not, if you are monetizing through a freemium go to market, you are investing more in product development because you want your product to lead the growth than you right. are investing in a huge sales team mm-hmm. to convince buyers. Mm-hmm. And so, what that means is when a buyer is buying. Through a product-led growth motion, more often than not, they're going to spend a little bit less because the sales rep's not going to like twist their arm to like get the next package up or something. They're making their own decisions. So you need lots of demand. You need a lot of people in. The second is you need the product to be very fast time to value. You need something where it's like, oh, I take a photo of a kid and a parent gets notified and they can see it and it's magic. And the third thing that you need to be successful with freemium is you need a really efficient upgrade path. Mm -hmm. When someone is actually getting value from the product, it needs to be worth it for someone to pay you more and a clear value exchange there. And that can be accomplished through the right product packaging, like where you put different features, Mm -hmm. or it can be accomplished through a consumption business model where you pay for basically how much of something you use. But I think those are like the three things that have to be true. And there's a viral business story a couple of weeks ago of a company called Equals, the title of the post was how freemium almost killed our business. And the thing that caught my eye about it was like, it really didn't meet those criteria at all. And so I'm not surprised that freemium almost killed their business. But it's worth reading that article. If anyone who's listening and wants to know more about freemium, because it's kind of a cool countertake on like, everyone thinks freemium is the rage. It didn't really work for us.
1: But then you have some conditioned buyers is what we used to call them when you're like in-store, like people who only purchase things when you know you're getting it at a discount, which is like Bed Bath & Beyond's main demise with their mailers. 20% coupons. Similar (laughs) thing happens with freemium. You have the folks that don't adopt or upgrade and just kind of stay or they churn.
2: Freemium is meant to allow people to have ongoing value forever from the free tier of your product. And your business model needs to support that from an LTV to CAC perspective.
1: Right. I think that is
2: how HubSpot accomplishes our mission of helping millions of organizations grow better. As we know, there's lots and lots of organizations that don't have huge business ambitions and a lot of them use the free CRM. Now, it just so happens we've built our business model in a way that enough of those people do want to pay for value and it supports us running that model. The key is all about unit economics and understanding what the actual buyer behaviors are. In case you can't tell, I really love freemium.
0: But hey, HubSpot (laughs) offers free trials too. We do offer free trials (laughs) too. It's true. But it's a good distinguishment. Yeah. Knowing especially that at its current state, it's got 10 schools in a beta test. It's trying to scale to 2,500 schools, but it's got this freemium model that it seems like they haven't quite figured out. Is it set up for success as a freemium business?
2: I actually think they're in a pretty good spot. I think that there is a lot of demand for this. I think it's a very fast time to value product because I think you can create those feedback loops really quickly. It feels like there's a very clear path to upgrade people and have them pay you more based on the value they're getting from the product. So to me, this is actually a perfect freemium product. I think it's smart of them to go that way.
1: I still didn't get that sense that there is a clear path, though. And I feel like there was that conversation around, well, how do you monetize this? Do you have coupons? Do you have in-app ad experiences? That was the one piece I was still grappling with. He didn't really have much ideas.
2: It doesn't seem like the founder has a point of view yet on how to monetize it. I think that is exactly right, Ariel. I agree with Chris Saka that I think you can advertise in almost any app. One of Uber's biggest revenue streams now is advertising. Mm -hmm. And so I do think they could advertise. They just need a consumption business model. The more people use the product, Mm -hmm. the more the preschool should have to pay. And the only thing you have to be careful of there is you can't surprise your customers and say like, oh, well, last month you used this much. Like, you know, you need to design it in a way that it's very upfront how much they'll likely have to pay. Mm -hmm. But if you have a certain number of students, a certain number of classrooms, um, a certain number of photos you want to share, that's probably how I'd structure it.
0: Well, you don't want to surprise the schools because they have tight budgets. But you know who don't have tight budgets? These sharks. Who? (laughs) Who? Ultimately started fighting over each other. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was the spiciest, <laughs> most strange shark fight I've ever seen. Okay, so let's set the scene. Mm-hmm. Chris Saka came on to this, very interested in Brightwheel. He wanted to go in. He was very curious about previous valuations and making sure that he gets the most bang out of his buck. Great. Love that. But he's like, I want no partners. And not only do I not want any partners, I can't think of a single shark Here on this panel, that's going to add more value to your deal. And basically, Damon, in the most anti-hype man fashion possible, had already gone out and was just egging on the Sharks because Mark took a little bit of umbrage with that. And he was like, are you really that clueless? And not to just give you the play-by-play, although I could talk about this forever, but it got really spicy and ultimately mark started like saying that chris as an investor only existed really within the silicon valley bubble and once you get outside of that bubble you know it's mark's world and he's paying for it so it was just a very spicy bow, but I feel like this is really early Shark Tank. Mark Cuban is the fighter of the pack, yeah. but it was interesting. This did happen in season seven, so it's a bit ago, but man, shark
2: fight. Shark fight. Beating
0: Frenzy. I'm surprised they both went in together. I mean, I get that it's like a business deal, but like, I don't shark, know, my pride tank. a little bit. <laughs> Blood in the water. Yeah. <laughs> All's fair in love and war and business, I suppose. But despite actually like, throwing some harsh words towards each other, they did offer together $600,000 at a $9 million valuation. So that's a 6.67% stake in the business. And it was really clear that the founder wanted two sharks because he kept shipping for another deal even when Chris was solely on the board, but ultimately was able to seal the deal with two sharks that clearly aren't best friends and made the deal with Chris and Mark. I hey, for 6% equity, that's pretty good steal, I feel like.
2: <laughs> Especially where they're at, yeah. 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 They got a better deal than prior investors, I think.
0: Definitely. So... A uh, bit of an update, though. Do you think this company's still around? Yeah. I hope they are. But the way you frame yeah. it, Jory, makes me question. <laughs> you gotta keep them guessing. <laughs> you said that so confidently, John. Why do you think it's still around?
2: My feeling is based on how much has been raised and the market and how underserved it is that they probably found a path.
0: Ariel, do you think it's still around? Yeah, I still think it is. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. You guys are both so great and smart, and I didn't throw you <laughs> off the tail that much. Anyway, so in 2018, Brightwheel raised another $21 million in investment from Mark Zuckerberg's Chan Zuckerberg initiative. So the company is very much still around and is now valued at over $600 million. So very much still around, very much high valued. Look for it at a preschool near you. Today's episode was brought to you by the magnanimous Matthew Brown. Editing comes from Robert Hartwig and support from Melanie Romero. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you subscribe to the greatest podcasts ever. That does it for me. See you in the tank next week for another bite.